Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Since 2017, the Somewhere in the Skies podcast has been a place for people in all walks of life to tell their personal UFO stories. How have these sightings and encounters changed those who experience them? From Beyond the Fray Publishing comes Ryan Sprague's brand new book, Stories from Somewhere in the Skies. This compendium brings to life some of the most powerful UFO stories ever submitted to Somewhere in the Skies podcast. It takes us on a fascinating journey through life-altering experiences from those who stared into the skies and had something extraordinary stare back. Stories from Somewhere in the Skies, now available in paperback and ebook on Amazon. Order today from the link in the show notes, or visit Amazon and search for Stories from Somewhere in the Skies. This episode contains content that some might find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. In his book, Harvest, The True Story of Alien Abduction, Gavin Davies relays the account of a woman known only as Susan. Susan was a lifelong resident of Pembrokeshire in Wales. Davies had first met her in late 2014 after she had replied to a call for anyone who'd experienced a wave of UFOs in the area in 1977. However, after their meeting in a coffee shop in Haverford West, Davies realized she had experienced something that stretched far beyond just lights in the sky or even physical craft. This would begin Davies' exploration into the dark encounters of the woman known as Susan. I live in constant fear that they will return and that I'll be plucked like a corn in a field that's ready to be harvested. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Spread. At the initial meeting between Davies and Susan, she admitted that she had not arranged to meet with him to discuss the UFO wave specifically. She did, however, wish to speak with him about what had happened to her much more recently. However, her condition was that they only speak about it from her flat, where they would be the only ones who would be privy to the conversation. Davies agreed, and several days later, he arrived at her flat. 
Over the following months, Susan would speak extensively with Davies about her encounters. She would state the following to him. Most people are unaware of something very dominant that treats us like we treat animals. We are a commodity to them. I've witnessed and experienced experimentation and unimaginable pain and terror at the hands of a race who are not human. But Susan never claimed to be the only one this was happening to. I've witnessed many other women undergoing the same thing. There will be many others around the world who might suffer from such things as sudden memory loss, strange rashes, and bizarre dreams who could very well have undergone the same encounters. Even though it had been several years since she had last been taken by whatever these beings were, she always remained cautious of their return. I live in constant fear that they will return, and that I'll be plucked like a corn in a field that's ready to be harvested. Susan would go on to tell Davies that the first encounter she would recall had taken place in November of 2009, while she was staying with friends whose parents owned a farmhouse in the country. There were four of us in total, and after enjoying a few drinks, I opted to sleep in the converted barn that was the guest house. I would take Lenny the boxer dog, whom I was quite taken with. It would be a decision that would lead me to one of the most unnerving nights of my life. The strangeness, though, began before Susan retired for the evening. She had left her three friends in the living room in order to use the bathroom. While she was there, she saw what she thought were car headlights coming up the drive, and also heard Lenny barking downstairs, as he usually did when someone was approaching the house. However, several seconds later, these supposed car headlights were seemingly switched off, and at the same time, the bathroom light also cut out, leaving Susan in complete darkness. Then, all of a sudden, the entire bathroom lit up. I contemplated whether it might be a helicopter, but if that were the case, I couldn't understand why there was no sound. All I could hear was my friends talking below and Lenny barking. Then, as quickly as it had come on, the light went out. A moment later, the bathroom light came back on. And that's all Susan remembered happening. The next thing she recalled is going downstairs to greet her friends, and they asked her where she'd been for so long. Susan was confused, as she thought she was only in the bathroom for a few minutes. However, her friends informed her that she'd been gone for almost half an hour. This was odd, but Susan would try to put it in the back of her mind for the time being. Several hours later, the four friends decided to turn in for the night. Susan said her goodnights, put Lenny on his leash, and made her way to the converted barn. After smoking a quick cigarette by the door, she returned to the barn and went to bed. Lenny, already laying out asleep, Susan lay down as well and drifted off. She awoke suddenly and looked at the clock beside her. It read 3.18 a.m., then, the clock suddenly powered off by itself for no apparent reason. I had the sudden feeling that someone or something was in the room. I could still hear Lenny barking beside me on the bed. As I squinted into the darkness, I could just make out something moving, about the size of a small child. 
As I was about to sit up in bed, the entire room lit up. It was just like the light in the bathroom she'd experienced. The light that had appeared when she had apparently had missing time. Then, Lenny suddenly woke up to the brilliance of the light. Lenny balked intensely, obviously sensing something was in the room too. At this point, I had a searing pain in my head. Then, at the foot of the bed, that's when I saw a thin, black figure staring back at me. Suddenly, Lenny launched himself at whatever it was. There was a sudden bright flash, and Lenny let out a howl of pain. The light began to dissipate, and when Susan looked at the foot of the bed, Lenny had completely vanished into thin air. Another bright flash occurred, and mere inches from Susan's face was a black, featureless form. And then, Susan blacked out. Susan awoke and sat up in bed. She looked at the clock, which was now working. It read 7.44 a.m. My entire body ached. My head was the worst. It felt like I was suffering some intense hangover. It was as I was making my way to the bathroom that I suddenly recalled the following evening. I realized that Lenny was nowhere to be seen. It felt as though the recent events were all a dream. I hoped against hope that my friends had let themselves in and had taken Lenny for his morning walk. However, when I arrived at the main house and found Lenny was not there, my heart dropped. I woke my friend and asked if she'd taken Lenny. When she said she hadn't, we immediately went looking for him. Lenny was never to be found. Although her friends and the parents were forgiving and told her not to blame herself, Susan sensed that they did indeed blame her for losing their beloved pet. She was certain they felt that she hadn't locked the door before going to sleep and Lenny had simply escaped. As it so happened, Susan would rarely see her friends following the encounter. This ordeal, though, was only just the beginning. I felt intensely ill for several days after the encounter at the barn house, including several nosebleeds and an intense pain right behind my eye. I felt so shaken by the events that I temporarily moved in with my aunt who lived alone, aside from her cat Mog. But the events were far from over, and only followed Susan. One night when I was out with my boyfriend Adrian, we sat in a car park after having picked up some fast food. As we looked over a nearby lake, we could see the lights of the boats making their way through the water. As they were doing so, we saw a bright orange light that appeared to be hovering, increasing in size. I quickly realized that whatever it was, it was headed toward us. Susan's boyfriend immediately tried to start the car engine, but it repeatedly failed. The object eventually stopped directly in front of them. I could hear popping in the air as it hovered. Everything around us was bathed in an orange, fiery glow. I could also feel energy pulsating off of it as it hung. Then it shot off into the distance at a great speed and disappeared. The car started as soon as the object vanished. Susan and Adrian drove away, eventually pulling over in the car park of a nearby pub. Adrian began calling friends, wanting to meet up and return to the spot where they had witnessed the object. Susan, though, already wondering if there was a connection 
between this anomalous object and her bizarre evening in the barn house, wanted to go home, much to Adrian's annoyance. Instead of taking her home, though, he drove her to a nearby bus stop and left her there alone. That should have been a deal breaker, Susan. The bus arrived a short time later, and she got on. When she sat down on the bus, she noticed droplets of blood dripping onto her pants. That's when she noticed that her nose was bleeding profusely. As soon as she arrived to her aunt's house, she showered, feeling quite ill and exhausted. She soon crawled into bed and tried to fall asleep. That night, she would experience what appeared to be a bizarre, twisted nightmare but one that Susan realized was intricately connected to the strange events that were unfolding all around her. I found myself walking in a country lane with a tall man with a featureless face. Then a bright light appeared behind me and I began to sense fear rising. The next thing Susan realized, a bright flash blinded her. When she opened her eyes from the flash, her surroundings had somehow changed. I now found myself in a street in Haverford West. There were Christmas decorations everywhere and it had been snowing. Then I saw a row of pubs ahead and found myself walking towards them. When I went inside, it too was decorated with Christmas decorations and a Christmas song was playing on the sound system. Then I saw a woman at the bar. When I looked at her face, I was shocked to see that it was my grandmother. I was shocked because she had died years earlier of cancer. She walked over to me and began speaking. Only, it wasn't Verbally, it was somehow taking place in my head. Telepathically? My grandmother then began telling me that I had to be brave and help my friends. She then reached forward with her arms towards me. As she did so, the music stopped, and the Christmas lights dimmed and went out. It was at this point that I sensed that there were several figures watching me from the shadows of the room. Another flash then occurred. Susan felt a sudden pain as if something was sticking into the back of her head. She felt as though she was suddenly paralyzed, and she could no longer see her grandmother. All she could hear was the sound of her own screams. A moment later, her surroundings changed yet again. Now she found herself sitting in what appeared to be a cinema. I was now facing a huge screen. I could sense someone sitting beside me, although I was unable to turn around. Then images suddenly appeared on the screen. I recognized them immediately as locations in my hometown. To begin with, it appeared like a promotional video showing all the best parts of Pembrokeshire. Then things changed dramatically, showing a graphic nature-like scene of a large spider being swarmed and overtaken by ants. I wanted to look away, but I was unable to. As the film reached its apparent climax, she heard her grandmother's voice before another bright flash appeared, which caused her head to throb with pain. The next thing she knew, she was awake in her bed. She got up to get a drink of water, her throat extremely dry. However, when she opened the door to her room, the tall, faceless figure was standing right in front of her. It reached forward and touched her on the side of the head. The next thing she knew, she was on her bed once more. When she looked at the clock, it was 11 a.m. Susan was sick for most of the day, 
and despite having slept for over 12 hours, she felt completely drained. Later that evening, realizing she was in desperate need of a good night's sleep, her aunt offered her two sleeping pills. As she climbed into bed a short time later, she purposefully left the door of her room open, which allowed her to see into her aunt's room across from her for a sense of security. However, when she fell asleep, she suddenly found herself back in the same dreamlike scenario she had the previous evening. This time though, instead of finding her grandmother inside the pub, she found a young girl, a girl she immediately recognized. It was me when I was young. Like her grandmother the previous evening, her younger self spoke to her telepathically, telling her that she, quote, had done well, and that, quote, her friends had been very grateful for her help. Susan was asked several questions of a nature that suggested that she was being subjected to some kind of evaluation. Although these questions were of a truly bizarre and intrusive nature. When these questions were over, the usual flash appeared before her eyes, and she found herself awake in her bed. This time, however, she couldn't move. She could, though, see across the room into her aunt's room. And more importantly, she could see something in the room. What I saw, I could only describe as some kind of strange and monstrous jellyfish. This creature was on the bed, over the top of my aunt. It got closer and closer to my aunt's face. A long, tender-like object moved directly to her nose and went inside it. Then I saw another tendril stretch towards Mog's nose and doing the same thing. The cat began to rise in the air, the tendril still attached and now inserted into its mouth. In the moment, I truly believed that Mog's was dead. It was at that point that my aunt woke up and saw what was happening around her. She began to scream uncontrollably. The next thing Susan realized, she was waking up in her bed. She could immediately see that it was now daylight. She immediately looked toward her aunt's room, and her aunt was no longer there. But Susan could hear her. She appeared to be vomiting in the bathroom. Susan went to the bathroom, discovering her aunt on her knees in front of the toilet. She asked if she was okay, to which her aunt responded by simply raising her thumb. When Susan saw inside the toilet bowl, she was horrified. It was completely splattered with blood. She told Susan that she must have caught a bug from work and motioned for her to leave the room so that she didn't catch it too. Susan would eventually help her aunt to bed and left her to rest. She would discover Moggs on one of the chairs a short time later. He was asleep, but even to Susan, he didn't look himself. Susan managed to make an appointment with the doctor for later that day and was prescribed anti-anxiety and sleeping pills. By the time she returned home, her aunt was downstairs. She still looked unwell but she assured Susan she felt better. Mox, however, had not eaten at all that day, and she was worried about him. That following evening was largely uneventful, and after several hours, the two women retired to their rooms. 
Almost inevitably, Susan soon found herself in the same dreamlike state. This time, however, instead of her grandmother or her younger self, the person waiting for her in the pub was her friend, Sian, whose dog, Lenny, had seemingly been taken from the barnhouse on that fateful night. As before, this figure, Sian, spoke to Susan telepathically, telling her that Lenny was with her friends and that it was her fault he had gone missing. She was told she had to help these friends and that she had to be brave. Then the music stopped and the strange figures became visible around her. Suddenly, following the usual flash, Susan found herself once more in the cinema. And again, it showed Pembrokeshire from various locations, even showing people on the streets going about their business. Suddenly, though, everything changed. Everything became very dark as the skies darkened. The footage now showed a boat on the water, the same stretch of water where Adrian and I had seen the bizarre orange object. The waters became increasingly choppy, and it appeared that fires were everywhere. In fact, the sea itself appeared to be on fire and was rushing down through the water. I could see cars fly past as if they were nothing but toys, and the people of the town were beginning to burn, one of whom was melting like wax. As this fiery water swept over everything in its path, people were incinerated and buildings crumbled to the ground. I watched in horror as an oil tanker on the water tipped on its side and exploded. The explosion was so powerful that it made the camera shake. As the carnage continued, the screen eventually faded to black. I thought it was over, but then images appeared again. It showed the aftermath of what I had just witnessed. Remains of people lay everywhere. Every now and again I could see survivors looking around, holding dead loved ones. The scene was one of the most harrowing things I've ever witnessed. I couldn't escape the feeling that what I had witnessed was a vision of the future. Then, a young girl, her face severely burnt, looked into the camera and directly at Susan. This girl simply and urgently told Susan the following. Run! With that, a flash appeared and Susan woke up in her bed. She quickly went downstairs. When she arrived there, she discovered her aunt standing in the living room, Moggs lying limp in her arms. The cat was indeed dead. Hey guys, Ryan here. When I'm not making the Somewhere in the Skies podcast, I am listening to podcasts. And one of my favorites since the very beginning has and continues to be... The Paranormal Podcast with Jim Harold. Do you like conversations about UFOs, ghosts, cryptids, and the unexplained? The Paranormal Podcast, which launched in 2005, is the longest-running podcast of its type on the internet. The show harkens back to the best of paranormal media over the years. Shows like In Search Of and Unsolved Mysteries. My favorite aspect of the show is that every week, it's something completely different. Which, for someone who lives, breathes, and sleeps UFOs, it's so refreshing to learn about other mysterious topics as well. But don't get me wrong, Jim's interviews on the UFO topic are also top-notch. Whether you're a veteran UFO researcher or brand new to the topic, 
Jim's interviews always set the standard for objective and insightful conversations. He's interviewed everyone from Jacques Vallée to the late, great Stanton Friedman. And that is just the start. And for you superstitious listeners out there, I have been honored to be a guest on the Paranormal Podcast a whopping 13 times. Luckily, I'll be coming back on soon to change that number. So please, do me a personal favor and tune in to the Paranormal Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to Somewhere in the Skies. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Following the three consecutive nights of intense activity, things seem to settle down a little. Susan's aunt, though, despite being told she was simply suffering from the flu, continued to be unwell. Things eventually came to a head when her aunt would ask Susan to move out and back with her parents, which she ultimately did. And the next few months were also uneventful. However, new reoccurring dreams soon began, and they would progress to become more unsettling than ever before. As well as the strange dreams in which she would often find herself walking naked in a field with several other women she didn't know, she would find herself having strange encounters while driving to and from university, including seeing the orange object on several occasions, as if it were following and tracking her movements. And even though she didn't have any encounters like those she experienced while living in her aunt's house, The permanent feeling of anxiety that had temporarily at least left her returned once more. Her aunt, incidentally, would eventually be admitted to a hospital when it was discovered that she had extreme advanced cancer. After this unfortunate diagnosis, she passed away only a week later. It was shortly after her aunt's funeral that Susan found a flat of her own. After what had happened to Lenny, and then her aunt and her cat, Susan couldn't shake the feeling that she would bring danger to her parents' home if she continued to live there. 
the strange dreams continued. In them, she would see foxes and owls, and couldn't help but wonder if these were symbolic and what they might mean. She was always in the fields, naked, with other women. On one particular evening, after having gone to bed, she awoke in the street, still wearing her pajamas. Then, on the street, she saw a tall figure that she sensed was a woman. It was dressed in a red coat, with a face covered with some kind of hood. Susan turned around and made her way back to the flat. She began to ask herself when she would wake up, and started to contemplate whether she was in fact fully awake. She eventually returned to her flat and made her way to the window. She couldn't see the figure, but she noticed that the street appeared to be awash in a mysterious red glow. She remained at the window for a moment longer before returning to the living room. When she got there, the tall figure in red was standing, seemingly waiting for her. Even more bizarre, around her was some kind of vortex. This being was clearly feminine, although it was not human. Her head was bigger than the rest of her body, and she had huge dark eyes that were more insect than human. This being stepped toward me and touched one of its claw-like hands to my head. I instantly felt something like electricity shoot into my body. Then, a moment later, everything went silent. It was as if the world had stopped spinning and time froze. The being stepped back into the strange vortex and disappeared. As unsettling as all these events undoubtedly were, it was the revelations of the last interviews Davies conducted with Susan that was the most unsettling. And not just for Susan, but for humanity as a whole. If, of course, there is any truth to them. This time, the events weren't intertwined with events made to appear like a dream to Susan. They occurred out of the blue as she was driving home after a visit with her parents. It was around 8pm on the night in question. Susan was driving along the road when suddenly a fox, much like in her dream, appeared in front of her. She watched the fox for several seconds before a red glow overtook her surroundings. The next thing she knew, the car headlights faded and everything went black. The next thing I remembered was walking out of some woodland and into a field. When I looked up, the entire sky was bathed in red. I stumbled forward for several moments before noticing the fox sat at a slight distance from me. As soon as I looked at it, it turned and ran. I couldn't escape the feeling that it was wanting me to follow it into an area of tall grass. I did so, and as I went, I noticed other women there. Eventually, there were dozens of women of various ages, all making their way in the same direction. This didn't seem like a dream at all. It seemed to me like a premonition of sorts. Things, at least for Susan and the other women she was with, were about to get even more terrifying. Susan suddenly began to notice a trembling sensation in the ground that appeared to be getting stronger. Then, the women began to lift off the ground with a distinct whoosh sound, spiraling and twisting as they did. There was an intense red light and a feeling of excruciating pain before everything once again went black. When Susan awoke, she was standing in a long line of women 
in what appeared to be a dark, uninviting room. The women were all naked and tightly packed together, their bodies almost touching. I did my best to look ahead, seeing nothing but a seemingly endless line of women in front of me. Then I noticed a light above the line that was moving closer. I could see that it had what looked like wings on each side of a glowing red orb, and it appeared to be scanning the women below. As it moved over them, it was spraying the women with some unknown misty substance. This spray appeared to have a calming effect. Because the women were so tight to each other, they were each forced forward by the steps of the person behind them. When some of the women would fall and attempt to climb out of the line, the winged red lights would force them back. Even more disturbing, when one woman fell forward and lost her balance, the red light extended a tube-like device to her, lifted her up by her head, and carried her away. As they moved forward, Susan noticed that the floor was becoming increasingly sludgy and slippery. I thought that this substance below could have been human remains. All the while, the women were forced forward, one systematic step at a time. We were being herded into areas based on our body type, age, and health. As we continued forward, eventually entering a tunnel of sorts, I could hear cries of pain and desperation ahead of me. We eventually came out into a larger room. I noticed on the walls what appeared to be cubes of meat. Before I could contemplate any more, another substance was sprayed onto us, and it appeared as though it was here that the women were being separated into different sections for different purposes. Susan and the women that were with her had various samples taken from them, which, although invasive, left them uninjured, at least physically. However, what Susan witnessed in another section caused her to question her sanity. She looked on in horror as a conveyor belt of restrained women were moved into place before being, or at least attempting to be, artificially inseminated by what seemed to be a lower half of a man that was seemingly kept alive by a network of electrical wires, like some kind of perverse, unfinished cyborg. Once this grotesque event was over, the women were moved along before being replaced by another set. Even worse, as she and her group moved along this house of horrors, she witnessed a group of pregnant women seemingly giving birth, alone and unaided. Susan also noticed one of the jellyfish-like creatures approach one of the mothers, who had just given birth, and drop onto her before seeming to consume her and the newborn child. As they moved on, Susan witnessed another conveyor belt, only this one appeared to have human body parts on it, which included torsos, limbs, and heads. The most horrific sight, though, was of an area that featured women all screaming who were literally being deconstructed and torn apart. They were being harvested. There was no other way to describe it. Pipes filled them and they were being pulled apart with every part of the body being used. There were dozens of women, gone, in an instant. Susan next remembers waking up in a field. 
When she looked around her surroundings, she could see the headlights of her car on the road a short distance away. When she made her way to her vehicle, she discovered her clothes in an untidy pile by the car door. When she looked at the clock, it read 8.03 p.m. Although the ordeal had appeared to last hours, and indeed it might have, in the reality as she knew it, only three minutes had passed. Davies published Susan's accounts in the previously mentioned book, Harvest. When read in full, it becomes clear the sheer torment and agony that permeated Susan during and following the encounters. The incident, at least at the time Harvest was released, was the last encounter Susan experienced. However, she would update Davies that she continues to live in fear that the monstrous beings will return any time. It is my belief that these beings are very old and advanced, and were on a technical level that far exceeds anything that we have a grasp of. They found us in our infancy, and they permitted us to thrive and cover the world. They were harvesting us a little to begin with, and increased this harvesting as the population grew. We seem to be defenseless. Following her interviews with Davies, Susan disappeared into anonymity, telling Davies that she had bought a plane ticket to leave from Heathrow Airport to an undisclosed location. The implications to Susan's claims, if they are even slightly accurate, are huge for all concerned. Could it really be that any one of us could be subjected to these horrifying types of encounters? And if so, would we have any defense against it? Furthermore, what should we make of the footage that Susan viewed in the cinema during her ordeal? Could her hometown be subject to some kind of Armageddon-type scenario? And if so, when will this happen? Will this be due to an outright attack or the result of some disaster of some sort? And if it is an attack, what follows after that? Would these beings go from operating out of the shadows to turning the entire planet into a huge cattle-type labor camp? The theories are endless, and indeed Susan's claims are truly disturbing. And we have to entertain the possibility that some, if not a large portion of this, could all be due to many different factors. Vivid nightmares, suppressed memories of traumatic events, or, and this is just a theory and not an accusation, it all could be made up. We've seen the dark and unfortunate unraveling of alien encounters and alien abductions before, when the individual is exposed as either fantasy-prone or simply a liar. However, if this is not the case for Susan, then we are dealing with something far beyond our reach of understanding, and even farther into the darkest corners of the encounter and abduction phenomenon. No matter the case, this cautionary tale of Susan should give us all food for thought, regardless of how outlandish it might sound. And it truly makes one think that while many incidents involving close encounters or even abductions 
have some sort of reconciliation or closure on those involved. Whatever it was Susan experienced provides no closure and no comfort. All it provides, like many UFO cases throughout time, is more questions than answers. Special thanks to voiceover artist Emily Battles for her time and talents in this episode. You can follow her work at emilybattlesactor.com. This episode was co-researched and co-written by Marcus Loth. To learn more, visit ufoinsight.com. Please take a moment to subscribe, follow, rate, and review Somewhere in the Skies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It truly helps independent podcasts like ours gain visibility and find new listeners. You can follow us on Twitter, at Somewhere Skies, and on Instagram, at Somewhere Skies Pod. Links to all of our social media, our merch, and additional content can all be found in the link tree of our socials and in the show notes. Thank you for listening. And remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching somewhere in the skies. Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum.